This is America on the Road, winner of the International Automotive Media Conference Gold Medal Award for Radio, and now in its 25th year on the air. Thanks so much for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. Hyundai has just introduced an electric vehicle it hopes will change the way Americans think about EVs. We were on hand for the introduction, and we'll tell you all about it. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at mercuryinsurance.com. Hi, I'm Jack Red. With me is co-host Chris Teague. Uh, Chris is based in Maine. We were just uh, discussing the, uh, the heat that has come into Maine today as we're recording. Uh, what's going on weather-wise there, Chris? Yeah, I always love our, our weekly weather reports. Yeah, today's going to be quite quite warm. I think we're going to hit almost 90 degrees. And so here in my very, very old 241-year-old house, uh, it's quite interesting with no no in, no uh, air conditioning and, and all that. So uh, the, the first warm day of the year is always very interesting here, especially in a new house because it kind of wakes up all the smells and the creaks and the bangs in the house. So we'll see how it goes. Oh, that's got to be so cool to live in, in a historic house like that uh, in a historic state like Maine with uh, so much uh, history around you and so much beauty. It's got to be terrific. So good for you. Yeah, it's great until I want to paint the outside of my house and then I have to get it approved by uh, several committees. So we'll see how that goes too. Ah, I, I wouldn't have expected that to happen, but uh, who knows? Uh, I guess you're, <laughs> I, are you in a historic uh, building that uh, requires you to paint it in historic colors? Uh, yes, or at least uh, to have it passed by a member of the Historical Society. So uh, much to my dismay, which we figured out after the fact, but I guess it's worthwhile for the, the history of the home. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. <laughs> so, <laughs> there were always uh, something more, isn't there? And speaking of something more, this week our special guest is J.P. Persico. Uh, he is Director for Strategy, Innovation, and Workshop Business at Bosch North America. We're going to be talking to him about the beginning of the summer driving season and the important issue to all of us of getting our cars serviced right. Of course, Bosch has been in the auto service business for more than 100 years, so we'll discuss with him that issue. In the road test segment, Chris will take a long look at the 2021 Jeep Wrangler 4xe, their plug-in hybrid Wrangler. That'll be interesting, don't you think, Chris? I agree. It's quite an impressive vehicle. Yeah. I had a chance to drive it uh, outside Austin, Texas, and uh, now you have driven it for a week, so we can have a nice discussion about that. I was driving the 2021 Dodge Durango SRT. This is an SUV that even guys can feel good about driving, and I'll tell you... uh, other things about it when we come to the road test segment, which is coming up. But before we do any of that, let's talk about the latest in automotive news. I think uh, both Chris and I were on hand to witness Hyundai introduce the Ionic 5, and it's more than just a, a vehicle introduction for them. Uh, this crossover EV is, in Hyundai's world, trying to transition the, the company, the way people think about the company, from being a maker of reliable transportation cars to a provider of smart, ecologically responsible mobility solutions. You saw the introduction. What do you think about that whole thing that uh, Hyundai's putting together there? I think it's great, and I think they're approaching it in a smart way, given uh, you know their, their plans for the future. This platform that they have can be expanded in a number of different ways, but this first model out of the gate, I think they focused on some of the things that people sort of cite when they don't want to buy an, an EV. So 
um, I think good on Hyundai for, for doing those things that they did. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. They identified the things that uh, uh, might cause people to reject EVs and then tried to address every one of them. Uh, the number one issue, of course, is range anxiety, and they addressed that with uh, long-range batteries. They provide as much as 300 miles of range on a charge, which is pretty cool. I think a lot of people won't opt for that vehicle, though. They'll opt for the other one that uh, may be a little zootier that has 244 miles of range. That's the two-motor all-wheel drive model of the Ionic 5. If you get a single-motor two-wheel drive version, you get 300 miles of range on a single charge. This is the thing that really uh, impressed me, Chris, and I want your take on this too, is this fast charging capability. They say that with a 350-kilowatt uh, charger, the vehicle can charge from 10% to 80% in just 18 minutes. I mean, that's you know getting to the point where it's almost uh, like pulling into a gas station. Uh, of course, none of us spends 18 minutes in a gas station, but still... Uh, that's pretty impressive. I agree. And if you look at you know some of the figures from other automakers, they're quoting similar range uh, increases from 10 to 80, something like that. But it takes 30, 45 minutes to, re to get there. And if you got just five minutes, you can add 68 miles of range using that same 350 kilowatt charger. So super impressive, fully recharging under seven hours using level two charging. So uh, I, like I said, this is one of the biggest things that I always cite is charging times, right? So uh, range is one thing, but how long do I have to sit at the charger to wait to regain that range? And this uh, almost knocks that completely off the table. Another answer to a, uh, that question is the fact that they're providing free uh, unlimited 30-minute charging sessions to their owners for two years from the date of vehicle purchase. So if you're out on the road, you pull into an Electrify America charging station uh, they plan to have 800 charging stations around the country uh, by the end of the year. And you can do that fast charging uh, over the course of 30 minutes for free. That's pretty cool, too. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I really liked about it, and it's not really related to charging, but the, the fact that the Ionic 5 will be able to recharge any electric device. So if you've got an electric scooter, a bicycle, camping equipment, I guess if you really wanted to take it to a construction site, you could power you know, small equipment there. But the best thing about this is that, I guess the neat thing about this is that you'll be able to power another EV. So if you run across your buddy in a Tesla and you want to get a, a laugh in on him, you can help him charge his car up if he's out of out of battery. So, yeah, you could be charging up his car while you uncharge yours. <laughs> Maybe you can meet in the middle somewhere. This is the thing that uh, also uh, I, I found really interesting, and I'm wondering how they execute against this. And that is the alternative ownership model. They're talking about vehicle subscription for the Ionic 5 and uh, letting consumers try out the vehicle for as short as a period of one month is what they talked about uh, in the after uh, unveiling press conference, I'm wondering how they do that. I mean, uh, what what they might end up with is a bunch of used Ionic 5s, and I don't think people uh, in the subscription model are looking to have a vehicle that you know has two or three months worth of use on it uh, as part of their subscription. But uh, you know, I could be wrong. We'll see how they execute against that. What what, what are your thoughts about the subscription model and the the try it out thing? Yeah, I mean, I think it's cool from a, a buyer standpoint. I mean, what have you really got to lose if you can turn it back in in 30 days or a couple of months, you know, where there's really not a lot of downside to that. But for Hyundai, uh, and I always wondered about this with other vehicle subscriptions, you know, like, is it Care by Volvo or the other 
subscriptions that are around is what do they do with those vehicles? Where do they go when they come back? How are they resold? Is it being sold at a dealership? Can I go buy a certified Ionic 5 with, you know, 1,500 miles on it in a couple of months down the road? Um, but again, it's, it's kind of a win for consumers, but I, it'll be interesting to see what they do with the sort of leftovers when they come back in. Yeah, I asked just that question at the press conference that followed the unveiling, and they said they had a plan for it. <laughs> they weren't specific <laughs> about what the plan was. Uh, and it's it strikes me, and I could be wrong, maybe they have a perfect plan and they're just not revealing it to us. But uh, they have that all planned into the whole program here. I'm not certain how they do that because uh, the subscription model has really not caught on. A lot of people have tried the to have people subscribe to cars. It just hasn't worked, but uh, maybe Hyundai can make it work. Certainly the Ionic 5 is uh, a very interesting vehicle, a breakthrough, and we'll see if it turns people's perception of Hyundai around. Uh, Hyundai had a pretty good reputation before, but I think this will uh, change it pretty significantly and for the better. I totally agree. I can't wait to uh, see what, how it happens with it and to get behind the wheel of one. Yeah, absolutely true. Uh, they'll be out there uh, later this year, so look for that, the Ionic, Ionic 5. And uh, here's, a, I think, an interesting item. Uh, Audi says that uh, Lamborghini is not for sale. Uh, our Volkswagen group uh, has mentioned, uh, there have been some rumors, let's put it this way, there have been some rumors that Lamborghini, uh, the Lamborghini brand, was up for sale. It is owned by Volkswagen. Uh, and associated with Audi. And now there's a denial that it is up for sale. So I, as we were speaking before we went on the air here, this strikes me as something like uh, offering a vote of confidence to a, a football coach or a basketball coach, and then three weeks later, uh, that football or basketball coach is fired. I mean, what's your take on the Lamborghini sale rumors? Well, you know, I totally, you know, we did talk about that. I agree with the the statement of confidence and then maybe down the road things aren't quite as as they were in the press conference or in the statement, but it's hard to see how another auto group or auto company could take Lamborghini and do what Volkswagen Group has done with it. I mean, they've got such a deep parts bin and such a deep bench of other vehicles that they can share technology across and it's really been to the benefit of Lamborghini not only for the speed but for reliability and and just build quality overall. And they've been able to build, you know, the Urus uh, SUV from uh, a lot of Audi parts underneath. So like I said, it's hard to imagine that another auto group, unless it's someone or a company as large as Volkswagen, could take it and do what Volkswagen has done with it. So um, it'll be interesting to see, but I hope they don't sell it because I think it, like I said, it's been to the benefit of Lamborghini, um, especially as they move towards electrification. What they might do is spin it off as an independent company and then do an IPO, a... Uh public offering, you know, selling stock in it as an independent company, uh, and that could make uh, the Volkswagen Group some money. So that uh, might actually happen coming forward. Uh, we'll see what happens on that. I thought that was interesting news, that denial. And uh, when we come back, we're going to be doing some road testing, some road testing of some very, very interesting, fun vehicles to drive, the Jeep Wrangler 4xe, the plug-in hybrid, and uh, the 2021 Dodge Durango SRT. So stay with us for that. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Nyrad right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. This is Jack Nyrad along with Chris Teague with you, and it is road test time, one of our favorite portions of the program. I think we established last week that this is Chris Teague's favorite part of the show. Uh, Chris, tell us why you like road test time so much. 
It is my favorite part of the week, actually. And I can't uh, tell you how amazing being able to do this is every week and, and having the ability to test these vehicles. Uh, I think almost any anybody who likes cars at all would love to, to do it. And I'm very thankful that both I get to do it and then be able to talk to you and everybody listening about it as well. So that's why I love it. Um, but to be less sappy about it, I spent the week with the 2021 Jeep Wrangler 4xe. Uh, this is their new uh, plug-in hybrid model. It's powered by a 2.0-liter uh, turbocharged four-cylinder engine and electric motors uh, for a combined 375 horsepower. And this number is really impressive, 470 pound-feet of torque, which I believe is actually more than the V8, the new V8-powered Wrangler, the 392. So, And all of that is available off the line, which is great for uh, slow-speed off-roading. So uh, really great configuration by Jeep. I think they've done a good job integrating it into the Wrangler sort of body the Wrangler uh, attitude. And I don't know if you experienced this uh, when you were on the first drive, but it does make a big difference in the way that you drive the vehicle. You know, Jeep, uh, even so the the Pentastar V6 and the other models that they have, it's good power down low, but this is an immediate sensation. You can feel it. And uh, I didn't do any heavy rock crawling with it, but I can absolutely see how it'd be a benefit in the mud. Yeah, it's a, a big benefit, and I did some rock crawling in it. And it's interesting to do rock crawling essentially silently because you can do it on all electric power. And as you say, you have that immediate uh, immense amount of torque. Uh, they had us climb some uh, rock walls. I, I mean, they literally look like walls. So when you looked at them, you went, oh, we're going up that. And I've been on enough Jeep events to know, yes, you will go up that and it's no problem. <laughs> but uh, it's very daunting when you look at it. But uh, the 4xe just uh, made very short work of it, made it very, very simple. So... Uh, you're absolutely right. Yeah, we took it through some uh, pretty deep mud and it, it, you know, 10.8 inches of ground clearance. So this was the Rubicon trim that I tested and it matches its non-electric cousin, non-electrified cousins ground clearance at uh, 10.8 inches. So plenty of ground clearance. Uh, it's got the Jeep, the short wheelbase, shortish wheelbase. So uh, you can definitely maneuver uh, the way that you need to off-road. This vehicle has a starting price for the Rubicon trim of around $52,000, just a little bit less than that. My tester was around $62,000, so if that tells you the number of options and packages that were equipped. So it had a safety package with blind spot monitoring and forward collision alerts, uh, $600 soft top. So this is the Sunrider soft top. It was really cool. You can fold it back and have it taped down in about 30 seconds, and you're on the road with basically a fully open top on the vehicle without having to remove it. Um, very comfortable ride. I think you know I drove it all the way here from Boston. I went down to an event and picked it up. And drove it about two and a half hours north after that and seemed to be just about the most well-behaved Jeep of any type I've driven on the highway. And I say Jeep, so between the Gladiator and the Wrangler, very well-behaved on the highway. Um, the powertrain is a little bit busy, especially at, low, especially at low speeds as it's transitioning between uh, electric and gas. I know you mentioned doing uh, off-roading silently, so you know, dropping the kids off at school or cruising through the grocery store parking lot, it's running on the battery and everything is silent. But once the four cylinder kicks in, it is a little bit rough and it's loud. And, you know, if you're sitting in the drive through people around you are kind of looking, you know, what's that noise? The car just started up. Um, but other than that, I think, you know, they've done, like I said, a great job at integrating it into the Wrangler shape. They've kept that attitude. It's rugged. It feels rugged. It's hardcore. You can do everything with it that you could do with a gas powered Jeep. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know if I've said this to you before, but the Wrangler wouldn't be my first choice as a family guy with two kids uh, for an everyday vehicle. But this is probably one of the first Wranglers that I would consider to be 
a good everyday vehicle just because of how smooth and efficient it is. And that, that off the line torque is really, really great. Like I said, so, uh, would I recommend it? Absolutely. I think you could probably get into it a little bit cheaper than 62,000, especially if you skip some of the options, but all around great effort by Jeep. Right. You also get that $7,500, uh, federal tax credit, uh, on that vehicle as a plug-in hybrid. So that's a, a bit of a benefit. And I think you could probably get that down much more like $50,000 on a vehicle you'd like a lot. Uh, the other thing about the electric drive is you can use that when you want. Uh, when you're on the highway and it transitions from electric to gas, which it's liable to do because the default is to use electricity until the electricity is gone and then switch over to gas that transition is actually quite good. And if you want to, you can uh, literally save up the electricity for when you want to use it. Let's say you want to drive out to a rock climbing place and you want to use the gasoline engine for that. So you can use uh, electric when you're rock climbing. It has the ability to do that as well. So uh, very, very cool stuff from the Wrangler 4xe. Yeah, absolutely. The battery save mode is great. And, it, you know, nowhere near me, but out west, I've seen that Jeep is installing uh, portable chargers at some trails. So if you do have this vehicle, you can hook it up and charge right before you hit the trails. So, um, like I said, very clever. Right. I think they're going to find a whole new market with that. And speaking of a whole new market or a different market uh, for a midsize SUV, that uh, is where the Dodge Durango comes in. I mean, we see so many front drive crossovers in this segment. Uh, in the midsize SUV segment, that a rear-drive bias Dodge Durango is uh, a breath of fresh air to me. Also, it offers the performance of V8 engines, which, as a performance guy, I like to have. Uh, it's opportunity uh, to uh, do something more than just mundane driving. You can get the Durango in the SRT Hellcat trim, with 710 horsepower. I mean, that's just crazy. 710 horsepower. It will go from 0 to 60 in 3.5 seconds. Talk about a fast three-row SUV. Now, Dodge won't sell a ton of SRT Hellcats, but I think the whole idea is to let people know that the Durango is different than the typical midsize SUV. And I think a midsize SUV is what the Teague family uh might uh, aspire to. Certainly the NERAD family has had use for three rows uh, for a long time. So the fact that this has all the utility of an SUV and then it can essentially perform like a performance vehicle if you outfit it uh, properly uh, for not a ton of money, I think makes it a, a really interesting uh, dual use vehicle. Yeah, we've talked about this a few times and, you know, they can we can joke about jamming the Hellcat engine into everything, you know, as much as we want. We'll see, a, I'm sure, a minivan with a Hellcat in it at some point in time. But, you know, the fact that you can, like you said, travel from zero to 60 in under four seconds, you can tow and also haul, you know, seven or eight people at the same time. Um, it's just great, especially for people, like you said, like me. Um, we have families and I can't at least, you know, even if I could afford it, I don't have room in the driveway for several vehicles. So if I want the performance, I want to haul my family and do the sort of utility stuff all in one package, it's, it's a great thing to have. Right. I think one of the best values is the RT trim. It gives you the 5.7 liter Hemi V8, plenty of horsepower there. Uh, it's base, it bases at about $45,000, $46,000. It has premium stereo. It has 115 volt uh, auxiliary outlet, among other things, I think is very, very good. You know, plenty of horsepower for towing, too. 
360 horsepower. So that might be the one to take. Uh, the SRTs are really cool. They're more expensive. One thing, of course, is you're not going to get great fuel economy. We understand that. But you're going to get that towing and the, the things that maybe many of the midsize vehicles don't offer you. So I think it's a really nice choice. Of course, it has the Uconnect 5 infotainment management system, too, uh, which I think, uh, and I think you agree with me, Chris, that's one of the best out there. It's just so easy to use. And uh, this time around, it's much quicker. And you can get a 10.1-inch display. So plenty to like as a, a both a family vehicle and as a performance vehicle from the Dodge Durango. Yeah, one of my favorite things about it is, you know, they don't just take the big engines. If you go for the SRT models, they don't just take the big engines and jam them in there. They, you know, they do a good job at, at implementing the big big power, big V8 and, and the, the family vehicle. And it's got the sensation of driving a muscle car, the sound especially, but the vibration and the feel um, all while you're sitting in uh, relative luxury. You know, the Durango is pretty nice. So um, go for me. I, I do like the Durango quite a bit. I mean, you could even get a V6 model that is uh, has decent performance and uh, decent towing ability and uh, is much less expensive. So all around, we'd like the Dodge Durango and we like the uh, Wrangler 4xe. So the folks at Stellantis are going to love us this week uh, <laughs> because we like their vehicles. It's as simple as that. So when we come back, we're going to be taking your listener questions. So uh, we're preparing for that. You prepare for that, too, and we'll be back in just a second. Uh, with Chris Teague, this is Jack Nerad with you, and we're so glad you're with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Christine Jackney Red back with you for listener question time. We love this portion of the program. We hope we can help you by answering your listener question. It's very easy to reach us with a listener question. Just send it to editor at driving today. Editor at driving today. Send us your questions. We'll try to answer them on an upcoming show. We look forward to hearing from you. And we're so pleased that you're listening to us on America on the Road. Here is a listener question. This came from John in LaGrange Park, Illinois, very close to where I grew up, actually. Do you have any tips for vacation driving? I think a lot of people are going to be doing some vacation driving this year as we come out of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Uh, what are your tips? You do a lot of family vacation driving, don't you, Chris? We have. Up until last year, we generally took at least one long road trip every year from Maine to Tennessee, where I'm from, to visit family. It's uh, you know, quite a long, probably two-day drive. But you know, beyond the, the, the obvious here, so I'm going to say if you have kids, there are, there's a time to drive and there's a time to fly. So we chose to, drove, to drive, I should say, uh, when my younger daughter was below or younger than two years old because you know this kind of flying with an, an infant is, is stressful for both the parents and a lot of the people around them but uh, in terms of the vehicle itself you know take the time to make sure that your oil is changed make sure that your tires have been rotated and inspected that they're in good shape uh, make sure that you're you know you've kept up on routine maintenance and uh, that the inside of your vehicle is clean before you start piling gear in there to go on vacations one of the things that I always tried to do was, pick out all the crayons and the Cheerios and the, 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 you know, old pairs of socks and things that the kids have left through the car, because as you start packing things in, you'll a find out that you run out of room and B find out that everything gets really disorganized. If you're digging through the normal junk in your car on top of all the things that, uh, you're bringing with you as well. And then, you know, in terms of the kids are packing the car itself, I always tried to make sure that we have 
snacks and sleeping gear for the kids. That means pillows, blankets, because especially in summer, you're going to have the air conditioning on, um, any sort of entertainment. And then also to plan in uh, stops. Even if you don't have kids, it's always great to give yourself a break. And I love being the road warrior, but even I get tired after four or five hours of driving. It just pays to get out and take a walk, go to the bathroom, eat something. Um, so the big tips are plan in time, Make sure that the inside of your car is ready to go cleaned out and packed for the kids or for yourself if you don't, and then also vehicle maintenance. Absolutely. And on the vehicle maintenance score, I think a lot of people wait until right before they're going to leave on a trip, and then they get the maintenance done or they get whatever repairs need to be done. And I would suggest maybe you do that a week or two before you're going to take the trip rather than getting the car back from the, the service department and then heading right out. Mostly service is going to be done right and you're not going to have a problem, but there is the, uh, the possibility that something won't be exactly right. And uh, by giving yourself a week or two in between uh, the service and the trip, it gives you a chance to sort that out if need be. And, uh, your your car will be more than ready to go and you'll be even more confident in it. I would also say when you pack, be careful how you pack the stuff into the car. <laughs> you know, the Nerad family is a family of five and we did a ton of road trips. Of course, I, I drive for a living, so that's something we did all the time. And with five and, and four of those being women, <laughs> you have a lot of stuff. And accessing the stuff easily is important, too. You don't want to unpack the entire car to get something out from under four or five suitcases that is needed as you're driving, right? I mean, you don't want to pull over to the side of the road and start unpacking and then totally repacking the car. So be careful about what's on top, what's underneath, what you can uh, not uh, afford not to uh, access over the course of a day or even a couple of days, and then... Um, maybe you want to pack a bag. If you're staying overnight in motel, maybe you want to pack some stuff that you will just take into the motel that evening uh, rather than unloading the entire car and then reloading the next day. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, if you have an SUV or a minivan with kind of an open cargo space, you want to make sure that you're not going to slam on the brakes and have a suitcase land on yourself or your kids or anything while you're driving. But I do like your point about the the sort of overnight bag, which is something that we do uh, when we drive to Tennessee, especially because, like I said, we drive for over the course of two days. So that's a really great tip. Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, we are veterans of that. So <laughs> we know what it's like to, to take a family vacation drive. And I think there's going to be tons of that going on as we enter the summer of 2021, which a actually uh, leads us to another question. And this, has to, this is from Steve in Raleigh, North Carolina. And he's asking us about summer tires. He's heard a lot about summer tires and really wants to know what does that mean and uh, what are the advantages and disadvantages of summer tires? Yeah, summer tires, uh, you could also might see them called summer performance tires or high performance tires. They're generally uh, a type of tire with a rubber compound that is softer than winter tires or even all season tires, which means that when it's warm outside, that compound is more likely to grip into the road and give you better traction. Uh, they also do quite well on wet pavement. Um, but it's important to note that, especially, you know, for where I live, it starts turning 40 degrees or so in like September, October, that they don't do so well in temperatures below, like I said, that 40 degree mark. The, the compounds tend to harden up 
And uh, in some cases, if it's really cold outside, they can crack and, and damage the tire. But uh, they're really meant for, just like I said, summer or warmer weather where you live, Jack. You could probably drive on summer tires uh, year-round. Is that right? Uh, probably so. We're uh, really unlikely to get any snow or, or really inclement weather here in Southern California, so that's pretty likely. It doesn't get really get hot uh, where I live, but certainly inland from here, it, it does get hot. And I would say most vehicles are now equipped with a, what they call all-season tires, right? It's, they're meant to uh, be good in both summer and well, I guess all four seasons, right? They can perform as a winter tire. I think in, in Maine, you might use dedicated winter tires, or what we used to call in Illinois a snow tire. Uh, what's your take on that? Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. All season tires does not mean all weather tires. And you know, while they do okay, they are definitely not the best in snow. They don't, uh, snow tires have the special um, they're called they're sipes and tread patterns that, that sort of bite into the snow. And especially if you're using studded snow tires that bite into the ice. Um, and the real benefit there is acceleration and stopping. So uh, four-wheel drive, all the four-wheel drive in the world isn't going to help your vehicle slow down any. And, and snow tires really do a good job at that. So we do. We switch over to, to, to winter tires on our Subaru uh, in around November. And then back again in April. Of course, there are some laws against what you can and can't do with with tires. But uh, in general, yeah, the, it's all season tires are not the best at all weather. So uh, that's an important note to make. Yeah. And I would say here in Southern California, all season tires are just fine all the time. And uh, it's one of the many things that we don't have to worry about that you have to worry about in, in Maine or, uh, you know, the northern states. <laughs> so uh, when we come back, we will be talking with J.P. Persico the Director for Strategy Innovation at Bosch North America in their Automotive Aftermarket Division. We're going to be talking about preparing your car for summer driving season and just all-around service for your vehicle. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Red with you, and thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack Red with you, and uh, we have a special guest for you. J.P. Persico is the Director of Strategy and Innovation and Workshop Business at Bosch. We're going to be talking about car repair, something that either uh, delights or frightens you, depending on how you look at it. Uh, J.P., thanks so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. So we're coming up on uh, a big anniversary, certainly an anniversary for for Bosch, your company, and um, for the whole auto repair industry. Why don't you tell us a bit about that to get us started? Sure. Love to. So... um... Bosch has an automotive repair network called the Bosch Car Service Network. And this automotive repair network has been founded 100 years ago back in Germany and has been for quite some time here in the United States, almost 40 years. And we're really excited to celebrate with our network here in the U.S. and worldwide this milestone and really look forward to another 100 years in automotive service and how, what we as Bosch can bring to this craft to better bring our cars on the road, keep them on the road, and really have have people enjoy the best quality service out there. Well, Bosch really established uh, a name for itself uh, as a reliable place to get your car serviced in Europe. Uh, very, very critical. I mean, if if you look at the history of motorsport, for example, Bosch is all over it, right? I mean, it's uh, uh, really interesting how uh, the company... Uh, which builds parts and does a lot of things, uh, certainly a massive global company, uh, has branded itself in association with car service. Tell us a little bit more about that, would you, JP? Sure. I mean, naturally, as a original equipment manufacturer, we 
are really close to all of the cars being produced worldwide. And we are in a lot of brands out there as the one which really is there from the day the brand thinks about bringing a new car to the road, to the prototype, to the time where it leaves the manufacturing facility and is actually production ready and 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 consumer ready being distributed to all of the dealerships out there. With that, we have gathered a tremendous amount of knowledge in this in this space and that knowledge not only lasts for the dealerships, but also needs to last for the for the independent repair network out there who, ne- who needs to take care of these cars once they don't go to the dealership anymore. And therefore, we really built the Bosch Car Service Network as the network where people can bring their car once the dealership needs come off and they want to really find someone closer to them or more intimate setting, as well as the person who really as we pride ourselves, the person who really cares about the object this person bought a couple years back. Right. Let's talk about the challenges to the independent shop out there. Uh, before we went on the air, I was telling you, JP, that my brother has owned his own independent shop uh, for years and years and years. And there certainly are some challenges to independent workshops. Uh, why don't you talk a bit about those and, and how Bosch can help? Sure, absolutely love to. So I think when we look at the challenges for an independent workshop nowadays, it's really about getting access to information early in the life cycle of a vehicle. As we all know, the business model of how vehicles are sold and repaired has really merged with most of the business model in our end consumer lives. So what um, we believe Bosch can bring to the table here is that end-to-end knowledge. We know what's happening in cars early on. We know know it from production, and we know how to keep keep these cars on the road. What Bosch has built over the past few years is really a suite of services for an independent repair shop to benefit from, to be more efficient, be more productive, be able to communicate with their customers in, I would say, like a new world fashion, but also be able to train their technicians in a way that they can repair the cars of the future as well as the cars of the present and the cars of the past. Why don't you dive into that a little bit more? I mean, certainly getting access to information is a critical one. And I know a lot of auto manufacturers want to keep uh, information about their vehicles close to the vest, very proprietary as long as they can. Uh, They'd love to have that service customer as long as they can possibly have that customer. Uh, but it's important for independent shops to have that information so they can do repairs properly. Uh, tell us a bit more about that, would you? In general, uh, the notion you're talking about, I would say, is really well covered by legislation and the right to repair. So independent repair shop can always get information to repair a car. And the industry has been really forthcoming when it comes to making sure that the information is being, I would say, distributed in a way that keeps the end consumer safe, but also gets the independent person the right amount of training and data to to get a repair done. What Bosch brings to the table is basically consolidating that information in multiple ways, as well as also being an advocate on the OEM side for safety and security and being an advocate for the IEM side, so like for the independent aftermarket, on having the capability to repair the cars, getting the parts, and also getting the, the diagnostics ready so they, they know what to do in the car with the car. Because I think the, inform- the information to repair is one thing. And let's be honest to each other, re- car repair in general is a mechanical thing, which needs someone 
which really knows what to do. And it hasn't become easier. I mean, a 1960s car to repair to the, today is much easier than a 2020 make because the 2020 make has just so much electronics in it that you really need to be careful of what to do with it. So we are bridging that gap. We are bridging that gap with technology, with training, as well as with, with the overall um, network we have where people can talk to each other and exchange their experiences. Right. I mean, we talk a lot about uh, just uh, overall in in the world, right, uh, about analog days uh, in the past and uh, the digital age in which we live. And really, cars epitomize that, don't they? I mean, there were uh, analog cars, but essentially mechanical, uh, and everything was mechanical as opposed to uh, computerized and digital. And now so much of it depends on uh, digital processing, uh, that the whole repair process is very, very different than it was uh, 20 or 30 years ago, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, um, nowadays, when you look how, how many things have to be touched to just change the light bulb, if you think 20 years ago, you just pulled out pulled out the element, switched out the bulb, and that was it. Now, I mean, I can I remember I had to switch a little light in one of my cars, and then I had to go in from the wheel, um, to actually get to it and <laughs> no hood opening, nothing. So it's cars are much more complex and, and the complexity not only starts with mechanical things, it also starts with the sensors which are being built onto cars. I mean, there's a reason why a car needs to hold its lane and this, this lane holding assist or this lane assist uses multiple sensors. We at Bosch believe that the, the emergence of technology really starts starts early on and we therefore build a lot of tools around the car to make sure that, that someone can repair it so that if if a car gets into a collision or if you need to do a repair that also that system who may, manages the car's safety is always being audited and well maintained and we've built systems such as NADAS calibration tool or our diagnostic tools which support technician in having that um, I would say that emergence of technology within the vehicle being eased as well as also bridging the gap from having it only mechanical to really a digital digital age. I mean, nowadays, you don't even talk about technicians anymore. You talk about the mechatronics. And so <laughs> it's, it's really become different. Yeah, and you're well positioned to do that, aren't you? Because Bosch is uh, such a, uh, an important supplier to the global industry and uh, on the leading edge of OEM uh, original equipment parts. Uh, that it makes sense that uh, you would have the expertise that you can then pass on to the uh, independent auto shop. Yeah, we have we, we are with the heritage of our company extremely lucky to have maintained our relationships over these decades or hun over 120 years on really working with OEMs on building cars. Therefore, the parts coming out of these cars are also um, being released in the aftermarket for you and me to install if we want to go to a retail store or for a technician to install if they want to want to get it from their wholesaler. And we're really proud of having a really good portfolio out there. Being original equipment on many makes and models gives us the, the advantage of, of keeping the quality on a high standard. We truly believe that the quality is in our DNA and we don't want to want to danger it or put it in jeopardy by not getting the best part out there. 
Well, and certainly the uh, consumer wants to get a good repair, right? I mean, they, they want a reliable repair. They don't want to have to go back. They want the, the job done right the first time. Tell us how the consumer can identify a good independent repair shop. That's a great question. Uh, I think at the end of the day, it's a lot of technology, what technology has brought to us for it to end consumers is a transparency. When you look at a good repair shop, make sure you look at the ratings and reviews. Make sure that they're talking about certain certifications. Make sure that when you call them the first time that they actually have that, that, that feel that the person cares about you. Because we really, when we look at our network, at the Bosch Car Service Network, we pride ourselves to have such individuals com completely representing the Bosch brand, but also their individual brand towards the consumer with the best attributes. When, when I think, when we, when, we, when we talk to these people who want to join us, they go through rigorous tests and rigorous qualifications to become a Bosch Car Service Center. And we do that in the, in the way not to protect ourselves at Bosch, but we want to protect the end consumer to get the, the Bosch name always represents the highest quality. And therefore, we want to make sure that they get it when they visit our Bosch Car Service. And the end consumer really should think of how they're treated when they are in the shop. Do I still get printouts or do I get and text message, do I get things digitally or do I still have to do a lot of physical, I would say like interactions, which are maybe more cumbersome to my day. We truly believe that your workshop experience should be seamless. You should go there, drop off your car, be able to do whatever you wanna do. If you wanna sit there in the waiting room, our Bosch car service centers have beautiful waiting rooms. If you wanna go home, our centers are equipped with the latest technology, which can reach out to you and tell you what's happening with your car step by step where you can pay, approve, or deny any work order you want. And I think we really believe that that freedom should be given to people. And lately, we needed that freedom. So we needed to be able to have this remote approval of work done on our cars or remote payment. So we are really happy that our network can provide that to our customers. Yeah, and of course, uh, service centers were regarded as essential services. They uh, certainly are still being regarded as essential services. So uh, a lot of people, like my brother, for example, worked right through the pandemic every day repairing people's cars. And I think as you uh, say so rightly, a technician really ha has to have the person's best interest, the customer's best interest in mind, as opposed to just doing a repair on an on an object, right? I mean, it's it's helping somebody uh, is really the basis of of being uh, a a good repair person. Absolutely, absolutely. I think at the end of the day, um, that trusted relationship means a lot because you're going back onto the street and you want to be safe while driving. And sometimes I think like technician visits are look or like workshop visits are looked like visits to the dentist and don't get me wrong i really appreciate all of dentists too as much as i appreciate also all of our repair shops are doing but people have this notion of oh what could come after oh am i going in for a brake change and then they're telling me i have to do wheel alignments additionally i have to do like my ac is failing i have to do a flush a hundred dollar work order can become much more all of a sudden for people so that's where they're like having this like really resistance in going into a workshop. And I think by being able to transparently educate the customer on what is happening to their object, to have this exchange being facilitated through through the means of, of tools which are used nowadays, this means like sending them a link onto a website where they can see a video of what's happening to their car, sending them, sending them a text message with, with an with a easy approval button, things like that 
things I'm used to from my bank, I should be used to at my workshop as well. Because if you think my bank has way more rules to handling my money that a workshop has to handling my car. And that's where we pride ourselves in our network, that we are really bringing our network to that digital transformation. Tell us a bit about how a independent repair shop becomes a Bosch car service affiliated shop. Happy to do so. I mean, it's um, you go either on BoschCarService.us, which is basically the place where you can find all the information of where, who are we, what do we expect, but also how get, to get in contact with us. But at the end of the day, we have a really personalized step-by-step process to guide the individual workshop into becoming a Bosch car service. This is from an onboarding with tools and systems to an overall multi-point wheel on what do you need to be to become a Bosch car service. We really want cleanliness in the shop. We want transparency. We want customer rating area, which is, which is representative of the Bosch Bosch values. You want to have the customer having its own washroom so they don't have to walk through a shop and get themselves into danger of getting hit by a lug nut flying around. So things like that, we really want to, we have certain minimum standards. And then with those minimum standards, we enable tools and systems within the shop to enable the shop to be better. We pride ourselves that if you become a Bosch car service, you're going to be 10% more efficient, 10% more profitable, and you will have 10% more customer pull through just because of the fact that you can do way more with the same amount of people. Yeah. I've talked, I recently talked to a group of workshops and I asked them how business is going and I'm hearing, oh, I have wait times for my customers because everyone is coming at the same time and everyone wants work and I, my staff, I'm, I'm shorted on staff on the one hand side, on the other hand side, we have still COVID, so everything is a bit more complicated. Hearing this and being able to say, well, we have something for you which can make your life easier really is is something which I believe the industry was ripe for. The industry is ripe for digital transformation and transformation for systems and, and tools to make the workshop more efficient and, and uh, effective. And we're approaching a, a, another sea change in the industry, right? And, and I'm talking about electrification which really changes the whole auto repair thing uh, markedly. We don't have a lot of time left, but give us your thoughts about what that's going to mean for the average repair shop. It's a, it's a great question. And I would say, when I look now where we are in 2021, if you think we are living in really exciting times. I mean, in the last 60 to 70 years, we didn't have an emergence of so many new manufacturer of automobiles as we had in the last 10 years. So now think about the fact you have all these new automobiles coming on the road. They will need service. If your workshop is ready to take these these new cars on, they will need to have a certain qualification as well as a certain maturity of technology. With that maturity of technology, there is a certain need of changing your mindset of who your future customer will be. I truly believe that we will see a change in the industry where customer and ownership change is the non, is, is a big trend. And we will see, we see it already today where we see so many assets are being shared and not owned anymore by only one single person or one single person owns it, but shares it with so many more people. This brings a huge opportunity to the automotive repairs uh, industry because it, it gives us the, the capability of taking on more and being more on top of technology. 
most of these new OEMs will come out and will not be able to repair all of their cars on the road. It's just impossible because of the amount of assets needed to do so. And we have a lot of already, if you think about it, the supply is already there. So as an independent, you need to make the decision, do I want to be able to repair every single car on the road? And if so, what do I need to do from a training, from a systems, from an overall business approach to be capable of, of doing this in the future, to be capable to tailor to these new customers of mine? And I think um, this is going to be interesting to see who will be willing to make that switch and who will be willing to, to, to keep on with what they've been doing over the last 20 to 30 years. Right. It will be fascinating. And how can uh, our listeners reach a, uh, an independent Bosch car service shop in, in their local area? I can give you two options. One is going to the website BoschCarService.us. The other option is going to Google and say Bosch Car Service. And then the second you hit that on Google, you will see the Bosch Car Service Centers close to your, in your area, which are flagging in our banner. Yeah, well, very, very cool. I, I've learned a lot, JP. I appreciate it. JP Persico, he's Director of Strategy, Innovation, and Workshop Business at Bosch in North America. Thanks so much for being with us. We, we appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me, Jack. And stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. And that was our interview with J.P. Persico of Bosch talking about servicing your vehicle. Such an important thing. And, of course, Bosch has been in the auto service business for more than 100 years. They're known globally for that. So we thank J.P. for being with us. And we always have to thank, and rightly so, Chris Teague for his able co-host duties with us. Uh, Chris, thanks so much for being with us, for giving us the weather report on Maine and uh, your your tips for summer driving. Uh, you're just full of information uh, this show, so thanks for being with us. I wish you could tell my wife that. She is frequently uh, tired of my stories and lets me know that she's, she's overhearing the same things many times, which I guess I, I understand. But thank you for having me. Thanks, everybody, for, for listening. I'll say that if you like what you heard and you want to hear more, please like us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. That will help us continue to grow and uh, bring more people along for the ride. We'd love to have more people join us for the ride. I am also pleased to learn that uh, your wife sounds like my wife. I'm pretty tired of my stories over and over, so I guess we share that as well. We'd like to invite people to join us next time right here on America on the Road. We want to thank Mercury Insurance for helping sponsor the show. It's uh, You're so important as our listeners for uh, listening to the show each week. We really do appreciate that. And if you like the show, please pass it along to another listener who you think might enjoy the show, might enjoy hear, hearing two guys talking about cars. Uh, you might also want to pick up my book, The GR Factor, Unleashing the Undeniable Power of the Golden Rule. It's available wherever you buy books at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and local bookshops. Uh, so thanks so much for being with us. We really do appreciate it. For Chris Teague, this is Jack Nerad inviting you to join us again next time right here for another edition of America on the Road. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at mercuryinsurance.com.